you, you know, where I go, it's fairly remote. It's not like living like a true mountain man, but um, uh, it, it does feel like there's a, you know, such a visceral, primal connection uh, to the woods and to the mountains. And, uh, you know, I think we need more of that in the world. Um, it, it's really important to set aside sort of the trappings of uh, of consumerism and, you know, social commerce and j just just get away from it and get inside your own head and get inside your own soul. And that's what the woods and the mountains do for me. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by the Fly Crate. Since 2015, the Fly Crate has taught thousands of anglers world-class fly fishing techniques, and they provide unique fly fishing flies, gear, and tackle. The Fly Crate is an American-owned company committed to helping USA veterans by dedicating 2% of sales to Project Healing Waters. And for a limited time, our listeners get the benefits of the fly crate is giving new customers a dozen trout flies for free for your next order of $40 or more. Just simply go to www.theflycrate.com slash flyfishing97. That's www.theflycrate.com slash flyfishing97. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Thanks so much for joining us this time around. We've got on the phone line tonight, David Amos. David is an author, avid fly fisher out of um, the Colorado area for the most part. I know he's in a slightly warmer spot right now. Um, David, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, really glad to be here, Mark. Thank you. Yeah, so um, before we get going, um, I'd like to find a little bit about kind of your history, your background what brings you to the water david and how did you get started in fly fishing yeah I, uh, you know i i feel very privileged to talk about uh you know the opportunity i had my boyhood summers were spent in the mountains of colorado uh it was my great grandfather uh really uh sort of early 20th century who was a nebraska native and uh, somehow discovered northern Colorado and more specifically the Cashlapooter Canyon and bought property there. I guess you would call it homesteaded. Uh, and then as his uh, family grew, uh, he, you know, there were relatives, his sons, daughters, and, and their families began to also buy property mm -hmm. in the area. Um, uh, so that's really where the family legacy started and where I was first introduced to nature and rivers and mountains and wildlife. And uh, my grandfather then, uh, who was a, a physician, uh, I hear no throat physician in Hastings, Nebraska, ended up retiring uh, on a property adjacent to the, the family homestead, the legacy homestead. And my mother, uh, his daughter, was a school teacher. In Denver, so I grew up in Denver. But every summer, my mom had you know six, seven, eight weeks off, and we would spend that entire time. We'd pack up the station wagon, drive up to the cabin, uh, my grandfather's cabin. But we had access to um, the, the property and you know, a stretch of river that was about a mile and a half that was fairly remote. 
you know, private water, uh, so to speak. There, it was interspersed with um, public access areas, but really, you know, very few people, and had this very remote feel to it. Um, so that's really, you know, how I ended up getting introduced um, to that area and to fishing. And really, fishing uh, was the reason that my great grandfather first settled there, first bought property there. And fishing was the reason that many of the family uh, from the Nebraska area uh, loved the Cashlapooter Canyon, the Cashlapooter River so much. That was the reason they kept property up there and the reason they went up in their summers um, to fish. So, you know, there was this uh, broad influence from family members, from the adults and parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles in my life around this area. Hmm. And, uh, you know, that's how I first got into fishing. And of course, fishing initially was as a, as a small boy toddler, uh, was, uh, going to a, uh, tiny, tiny little pond about two miles up the Canyon road. Uh, there was a small uh, trailer park camper kind of park. And uh, we knew the proprietors and they loved to have the, the children come up and, uh, you know, cast worms and bobbers uh, or spinners into the, uh, this little mud pond. <laughs> and that's where I caught my first fish, my first trout. Um, and, you know, then the rest is history. I'm, you know, the area, when you speak of Cash Laputer, it sounds so beautiful. I, I have not been in that, that part of Colorado myself. Maybe talk to that a little bit, David. What what does that bring to your writing, to your fly fishing? Is it a, a place of inspiration for you? Oh, no question. Um, you know, again, I, t- I talk about the privilege of having access to that, um, you know, without recognizing it as a time, as a child, uh, but certainly coming into keener view as I as I grew up. And and uh, it it was it was. You know, while the while the river and uh, fishing was initially the pull for my ancestors, um, over time it's you know I and, and I've had the same same experience I think that they had, but over time it was it was no longer about the fishing. It was about the fishing is what brought us all there. Mm-hmm. But something happened, I think, and certainly it happened to me that. Um, just being in that place um, sort of uh, uh, created and developed this deep, deep connection to the natural world. Um, you know, today I think, and you know, it's it's difficult for people to to find that or uh, you know to discover that. I think we get wrapped up in so many different things and uh, this age of technology and things that move so fast and social media and. Um, and so absolutely is where I made the connection to the natural world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so while fishing was a, clearly a, a, a part and a, and a very important part of that experience, it's the river and fishing that brought us into that world where we began to discover other things. Mm-hmm. The animals are prolific up there. Um, I spent uh, about five and a half months uh, this past summer at the old family cabin. And I tell you, there was uh, probably not a day that went by that I didn't have a moose walking through the yard. <laughs> um, and so those kinds of experiences are just so 
you know, deeply powerful. Uh, there are beaver ponds just behind the cabin and in between a couple of the properties. And, you know, depending on the day or the time of day, I could go out and I, I could watch beavers swim and then they'd notice me and slap their tail. And, um, you know, when I go up there in the winter and those ponds ice over, I can walk out deeper into the willows that I can't get to in the summer. And there's the beaver lodge. And I, you know, I know that the family's in there, you know, sleeping and staying warm over, over the winter, but it's just, it's those experiences that made, um, you know, the connection so important in my life. Yeah. And the, you know, the fact that fishing was also uh, a part of that and, and having that same sort of connection and getting introduced to live creatures and, you know, what, how they live underwater and, um, and being able to bring them to hand and hold them. You know, all these really, really sort of deeply influential experiences of the natural world is really what has become more important in terms of you know, that area. I know in your your latest book that I'd like to talk to you now, if we can kind of transition into that, um, Sermons and Stones. Um, tell us the inspiration for for your writing and kind of what inspired you. Well, yeah, I think so many things inspired me about uh, writing this book. It's a it's a collection of short stories, eighteen of them, that are primarily around experiences. Uh, growing up in this canyon, um, but it, uh, it certainly there are fly fishing stories. The, the title of the book is Sermons and Stones: Tales of Family, Friends, and Fly Fishing. Um, and I think I was compelled to write it because I believe part of the connection I talk about is a connection to the spiritual energy of my ancestors, and you know I. I, I hope your listeners don't think me daft, but I believe that my grandfather uh, still resides up there. Matter of fact, I am convinced I've heard him quite a bit. Um, he he stirs the more I'm up there and the more I stir things around. Um, uh, I have really convinced myself that I've seen him once or twice. And so, you know, part of this, I think there's a, there's a, uh, a very strong energy uh, and going up there and, and, and connecting to energy is what ultimately inspired to begin to write mm. stories. Yeah. Um, one of the stories in my book is called the ghost herb. And I talk about one of the shenanigans uh, he played um, when I had a contractor uh, remodeling one of the, one of the outbuildings on the property. Um, and the, the ghost herb, as I called in my grandfather, um, uh, hid one of their tools, and that's what the story is about. So that was really, really the inspiration at first. But I also realized there were uh, tons of stories, and I think there's still tons more, but I think there were tons of stories around fly fishing too, and just trying to describe that experience mm -hmm. of walking in the woods and wading in the water. And graduating from a, uh, a spinner fisherman to a fly fisherman and understanding how different that was and how much more discovery was available. You know, I thought flies ate spinner looking things and I know that they do, but you know, I, as a kid, I would be at the river and looking at all the things, insects flying in the, in, in the air. I thought, Oh, that's a, it's nothing but mosquitoes. Cause I was getting bit all day by mosquitoes. Mm -hmm. And over time you begin to recognize as you turn over rocks in the river and you shake branches on the, on the banks that, 
there is an incredible variety of of the, of the insect world. And, and, and as we learned to, you know, catch fish and the fish that we kept, how to gut a fish, and you'd slit open their bellies, and like, wow, um, this doesn't really resemble anything like a panther martin or a map spinner. <laughs> they eat a lot of bugs. And so it was really just a, you know, a cool evolution to go through, um, you know, ultimately. And I wanted to write about uh, those experiences and those stories. That's good stuff, because I always think that um, fly fishing is... It's poetic by nature when even just seeing somebody casting a line on a, you know, a misty morning as the colors are kind of turning. There's so many things you can write about when, when I, when I think about fly fishing, it must be a a pretty, a pretty easy place to draw, you know, stories and inspiration. Yeah, that for sure. For sure. And it wasn't just the river. You know, we had this opportunity to get above timberline and find high high alpine lakes and tarns. And, you know, find a different variety of fish, the cutthroat uh, up at 11,000 feet, which I can get to in about a half an hour drive and a half, about half an hour hike after that. Some of the most beautiful water and scenery that you've ever seen. Um, and, you know, to, to then learn also what still water fishing was like and how that was different and experimenting with, um, you know, uh, different ways, whether it was casting a dry fly and letting it sit on the water and just relaxing or whether it was throwing out uh, a weighted line, weighted sinker, uh, uh, and, and stripping through the water with a woolly booger, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Just, just the different types of experiences that for the most part were really self-learned. I didn't necessarily have a, a fishing mentor or somebody who taught me how to fly fish. Right. Um, some older brothers who picked it up before I did, you know, taught me some of the basics, but for the most part, it was, it was around the self-discovery. So when you're you're discovering fly fishing and then and all the years you've been doing and all the time you've been spending out in the great outdoors in a beautiful part of of the world, I'm where would you go to get your fix on fly fishing? So I, I like to ask this question to people like usually it's a fly shop or a coffee shop or but you're kind of in the middle of it out there, aren't you? And I'm just is is there a place, David, that you would go to kind of get your get your fix on fly fishing? You mean when I first started? What what you know, that that place that kind yeah, of yeah uh, yeah that, that first uh, started sure That's... was the inspiration. Yeah, I, um, look, p- part of what I think happened in my experience was uh, you, you know there's there's little technology up there. More most recently, I've put up some satellite internet, so I'm able to work uh, from the cabin. But there's no TV. Uh, you know, uh, there's no cell phone service. We had a landline phone, which is now voice over IP through this internet satellite. But as a result, um, in the evenings, all we had to do was really read. And so I read a bunch of uh, books and there's a ton of books uh, up at the cabin that are, um, boy, there's some old ones around um, fly patterns and fly fishing. And more recently, you know, I I was really inspired by John Garrick and and all of his books. uh, you know, novels and collections of short stories, which was really much of my inspiration around, Hey, I should, I should, uh, make an attempt to write some of my own stories. Um, but it was really about reading other people's experiences. That was the primary inspiration for staying engaged right. in fly fishing. I'd like you to take us through your ideal day. So imagine you could have your perfect day on a stream or river in your neck of the woods. What does that look like? When would it start in the morning? 
what kind of fish would you be targeting and, and just kind of paint us a picture if you would. Yeah. Um, I don't think the day is very warm. I think it's probably uh, sort of an overcast day. Uh, you know, even in the middle of summer, it'd be ideal if uh, I get out in the morning and it's, you know, maybe high 40s, low 50s. Uh, we're at about 8,000 feet in elevation up there. Um, and the ideal day is to, is to wake up, a uh, cup of coffee and waders on, um, rig up. And I'm, I'm about a a 60 second walk down the path, down my uncle's, uh, past my uncle's cabin to the edge of the river. Um, and he's got a nice little, uh, fishing hole right off the deck that he has in a river, a beautiful spot. Um, and then I have a choice of working up or down, uh, going down, uh, it's an area we call the bend, which is where we spent so much of our time as kids, uh, not just fishing, um, skipping rocks, building fires, cooking hot dogs. Um, or I can work upriver, which is a little more private, a little more remote, and there's just a wide variety of water, um, long stretches of uh, riffles and open water. Um, above that, uh, really nice pocket water, just a variety of uh, spills and falls and deep pools and short runs. Um, you know, when I was a kid, we were catching rainbow trout practically all the time. It was uh, rare to catch a brown and even rarer still to get a cutthroat in that river. Um, over time, there was the uh, whirling disease that impacted the rainbow population and they were essentially decimated. So that has evolved over time. We're now, you know, 90% of the fish that we catch, at least in this stretch of the river that I typically spend my time are brown trout. And I still catch the occasional rainbow trout. Uh, it's fun. I, uh, a couple of times in my life have uh, happened upon a mountain whitefish, which uh, a, a pleasant surprise. Like, wait a minute, did I just get stuck on a, a log or something <laughs> on the bottom? There's not a lot of wiggle and not not a lot of wiggle in that fight. But to you know, pull up this shimmering, shiny silver uh, fish. Uh, with some good girth and good weight, I always thought that was um, that was a uh, you know, pleasant surprise. But you know that that would be that would be a day that um, that you know it's I'd come back to the cabin after it got uh, a little too warm, uh, take a siesta, uh, maybe spend some time with family. But absolutely, the favorite part of the day then was going out late afternoon into dusk uh, as the world sort of settled in slowly uh, prior to prior to nightfall um, and the animals came out and there was a lot of activity on the banks of the river and I don't know how much I really fished I was really scanning for deer and moose and river otter and mergansers winging low over the water and just completely fascinated by the natural world and just just what was happening in it well you paint you paint a pretty good picture there <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just I just kind of off in la la land. They're just kind of like, oh, it sounds pretty good. <laughs> right on. Well, you know what? I can tell you're a writer. The way you talk, you uh, very very captivating. So, um, David, tell me about your book. Where it's available? Uh, if somebody wants to um, go out and get sermons and stones, um, where can they find it? Yeah, you can find it uh, on Amazon. Uh, search sermons in stones. Tales of Family, Friends, and Fly Fishing by David Ammons. Uh, it's a collection of 
18 short stories, personal anecdotes and narratives that I put together spending my time in a, a remote in an incredibly inspiring river canyon uh, deep in the mountains of Colorado. Um, it became available uh, about two weeks ago. Um, I've had some great feedback. Uh, some of your listeners may be familiar with Pat Dorsey. He gave me a, a wonderful little endorsement um, after reading my manuscript, calling it a delightful set of short stories that will fuel anyone's addiction to go fishing. It's an easy, enjoyable read that is nearly impossible to put down. And boy, am I flattered to have hmm. you know Pat Dorsey say that. That's good stuff. Um, yeah, good stuff. And, uh, you know, there's uh, of the 18 stories um, I, I mentioned earlier, there's a there's a story about my grandfather, the ghost. I think he wants me up there more often. I think he wants me to write some more of his stories. I, um, there are fly fishing stories. There's a story about as a, as a 17 year old with a good buddy driving to Fairbanks, Alaska to work for the summer and thinking we were going to spend a lot of time fishing out in the wilderness. Uh, and we ended up finding one one day the entire summer where we could get a day off from working in a lumber yard. And it was that day that we fished the Chattanooga River outside of Fairbanks. So it, it's a variety of different experiences and different stories sort of tromping through uh, the rivers and the mountains, mostly in Colorado with a couple diversions. Now, someone like yourself that spent that much time in the great outdoors, whether it's hiking, watching the wildlife, casting a fly um you must have some crazy fish stories you got, <laughs> i always like to ask my guests is there something kind of weird or wonderful that's happened to you in your time on the water that um stands out well uh you know i've i've there certainly um are a number of memorable fish um I write about one in the book called Leviathan and I, you know, I hooked into a fish that I believe is still alive 45 years later. <laughs> uh, the, you know, the, the, the biggest trout in the history of Northern Colorado, but I never saw him. He broke off, uh, early in our, in our engagement. Um, but I had the occasion to travel to Bolivia. I had a brother-in-law who works for the state department and he invited me down and says, I know a guy down here. His name is Dr. Rene Botello, and he's a famous fly fisherman in South America. Um, he's well-known, and he's, he's a published author uh, in some of the, uh, some of the um, periodicals around fly fishing uh, down there. And he's willing to take us up to the Altiplano, and he knows some spots. And so I went and met my brother-in-law in La Paz, and we had about a five-day, four-night adventure uh, on the Altiplano in Bolivia. And probably uh, my most memorable fishing experience was driving up um, in this incredibly remote area. You didn't see anybody. And we came across a small mud hut at about 15,000 feet in elevation. And the backdrop was a, a, a mountain called El Condoriri. And it's the, it's, it's the condor. Um, and this little mud hut had this, uh, you know, poor family of Bolivians. Uh, who knows how the hell they subsisted up there. Um, but nearby, there was a couple of ponds, small little muddy ponds. And uh, our friend Renee says, I've had some luck here, although I don't think this is the right time of year, but let's cast some woolly boogers and strip them through the water. I was the first one to rig up. And on my second cast, I caught 
a beautiful rainbow trout, about eight pounds, about 24 inches. And it was the biggest fish I've had caught and that I have caught the biggest trout. And I was just so floored by how that could happen. Hmm. And I'm in this sort of alien landscape in this foreign country, not knowing what the hell I'm doing uh, because I've, I've spent 90% of my time fishing my home river. What's comfortable. And I really don't have that great uh, diversity of experience. Um, and that moment will just live with me forever. It was, um, it was quite remarkable. Wow. Sounds pretty amazing. Is there something, David, you think we could do better as fly fishers or, um, I always like to ask my guests if there's things that maybe we, you'd like to see us do differently. Maybe there's something that irks you. Um, is there anything you could think of? Well, you know, I, I don't know. I, um, you know, I, I built a little platform on Instagram. Uh, I, I, I call it, uh, pure mountain living is sort of my handle. And, you know, I try to uh, share images of not just fly fishing, but these experiences that I've described. And I love sort of, you know, I don't have a, a, any following to speak of at all, um, fairly new to the platform. But I, I, it doesn't bother me, but I am certainly sort of intrigued by the monster fish that everybody's holding. I mean, these gargantuan fish, in my view, <laughs> a, a perfect fish out of the, out of the Poudre River, uh, they all look the same. They're about 11 or 12 inches. They could all be cousins. It almost looks like the same fish, brown trout, 11 or 12 inches, um, and fun little fish. And so I, I see these gargantuan fish from all over the country and all over the world. Um, but the thing I think I appreciate the most, there's a number of folks who uh, post the little fish, the little tiny brook trout, one of the most miraculous looking yeah. <laughs> fish in the world, in my opinion. They're, they're, they're just, yeah. just extraordinarily beautiful. Um, and I, I don't know if I would ever, uh, you know, uh, assume, you know, anybody should do anything in terms of their fishing. We all have our own interpretation of why it's important to us. But I would just say I really appreciate that uh, there are people out there who uh, you know, I, I, I'm reticent to call it, you know, machismo when, with because I know it's incredibly enjoyable. I described the big fish I caught and there's nothing like yeah. it, but I just guess I, I appreciate this, this willingness to say, you know, the beauty's not in the size, the beauty's in the experience. Mm. And when I see these little, little tiny stream, uh, little tiny brook trout, um, I, I really get tickled by that. I think it's a, it, it's a, a fantastic thing. And I just hope that we all appreciate, um, big or small, it is around the experience. And ultimately that's, what's important, how it connects us to, to the natural world. Yeah, that's, I, I couldn't agree more. I love those pictures. And there's, there's that one strain of, uh, Japanese trout. I don't even know the name of it, but it's beautiful too. You see those little browns and, uh, and like you say, those, those brookies and some maybe small streams and, or, uh, creeks and, in, in PA. Yeah, I agree there. It's, it captures the whole essence of fly fishing for me. It doesn't have to be a 14 pound monster, right? Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. That's awesome. So I, I gotta tell you, I was really drawn to your, uh, to your Instagram site and put that out there again. Uh, I think people will be really interested in checking out some of the pics you've got. 
Yeah, the the handle I use is at Pure Mountain Living. Yeah, and I've made it made it my task. You know, look, I've been on there uh, for uh, seven, eight months. I'm not quite sure. Um, my kids turned me on to uh, to that particular uh, social media uh, channel, and um, I made a commitment when I started uh, to post every single day. Um, I've been back in the desert here in Arizona after leaving, uh, you know, that five and a half months this past summer in the mountains. Um, I've been back here about three weeks and I realized, gosh, I may begin to run out of images and photographs that I was shooting all summer and into the fall and into some of the first snows. So I'm motivated to get back there and and continue to build some more content. Uh, What are you shooting with some of those, uh, like what kind of camera gear are you using out there? Believe it or not, I'm using my, I've got two phones. One is my work phone. It's an, it's like an iPhone two. I don't know what that has, but it's like the oldest version of an iPhone. And, um, I've taken a lot of those uh, pictures with that phone. Uh, I've got a couple of videos. Um, I recently uh, upgraded my personal phone to, um, an iPhone, um, XR. And I think the images, um, are, are a little bit better, but th- that old workhorse iPhone does pretty well. But I, you know, I have nothing fancier than that. I don't have a, I don't have a real camera. Uh, I don't have a video camera. I'm actually played around with a, I got a GoPro before I headed up there, uh, back in May thinking, Oh, I'm going to have a chest mount or a head mount. And I'm going to take these really cool videos. Cause I saw some of that, uh, on Instagram there's some amazing stuff, uh, some amazing videos and some really compelling content on Instagram. So I was inspired. So I spent my 286 bucks at Best Buy and got a, a nice GoPro with some accessories. And I took it out one day and I, I, I shot a nice little scene. You know, I got a, a minute video um, of casting, uh, setting the hook, bringing the fish to net, taking a shot of, uh, of releasing him back into the water. But at the end of that experience, I thought, what a pain in the ass that was. <laughs> I mean, having, having to rig this thing up and then having to go back at the end of the day and try to edit this thing together and put a little music to it. It's like, it's just not worth it. That's not what my experience is about. My experience is about my connection and what, you know, just, just being out there and, and committing that experience to memory rather than trying to, you know, build some you know, Hollywood production out of it. That's so I funny. sold the GoPro. I took one, one damn video and I, and I got rid of the GoPro. So I really don't have any fancy equipment, but I do hope people appreciate the pictures. You know, every, every few days it's about fish, you know, every few days it's about cabin living every few days. It's mountain scenery. Um, I've got a, a, a ton of stuff in there about the moose that walk through the yard. Um, uh, you know, beavers slapping the water. Uh, you know, beautiful, big, brawny uh, mule deer that, that, you know, come through those woods. Um, so, yeah, thanks for, uh, thanks for asking me about it's that. It's an amazing sight. I'm still, I'm still laughing about you. You just described my GoPro experience because, believe me, I, I've gone through all that <laughs> with these mounts and you're trying to do videos. And I just think I'm going to stick to audio. Do you know, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. <laughs> I, but yeah, no, it uh, definitely, uh, it's work, right? And I agree with you 100%. It takes away from the experience because you're you're trying to capture something f- for someone else at the expense of yourself, if that makes sense. <laughs> no, I think it does make sense. You know, at the same time, the, the, the folks that do it really well, 
it's an amazing experience, you know, to live vicariously through, uh, through their video content. Um, some of that stuff is quite amazing. Um, and you know, really inspirational. And and I watch it like, God, what am I doing here in the desert? I don't care if there's a bunch of snow in the Canyon, there's still fish in that river. I got to get back there. Oh, trust me. I, I can't tell you how often I Google, I think his name's Todd Moen. Um, on YouTube or holy mackerel. Some of those, it just takes you to the river. And for those people that can capture that stuff, um, you know, kudos to them. But um, I think I'd rather have the fly rod yeah. in one hand and just a, just an old camera in the other. Yeah. Well, you, you and I see it the same way. It sounds like. Well, David, I really want to thank you so much for uh, sharing with us tonight, your, your passion for fly fishing, the passion for, for the outdoors that you have. And, and um, your new book that's out now called Sermons in Stones, uh, a bunch of uh, short stories around family, friends, and fly fishing. It sounds like, sounds like that'd be a, a great book to uh, pick up and kind of read by the fire in the winter. It's an easy read. The sh- the, the, they are short stories. I mean, the true definition of short. Um, someone said, hey, that's a great toilet book. You know, put it on the tank and you can sit down and read a story and be done with it. And, and then it's there for the for the next episode. Um, not sure I, I necessarily want to promote it as a toilet book, but, um, I, I think it, I think it's a fun read. You know, I, I, I try to capture the essence of what it is to, um, uh, you know, be out in the woods, uh, you, you know, where I go fairly remote. It's not like living like a true mountain man, but, um, uh, it, it does feel like there's a, you know, such a visceral primal connection uh, to the woods and to the mountains. And, uh, you know, I think we need more of that in the world. Um, it, it's really important to set aside sort of the trappings of, uh, of consumerism and, you know, social commerce and j- just, just get away from it and get inside your own head and get inside your own soul. And that's what the woods and the mountains do for me. That's beautifully put. Thanks so much, David, for joining us this time around. Appreciate it. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for having me. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water. Mm-hmm.